What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Life's a Garden. Today's guest is a musician. He's dabbled in the world of comedy. He's traveled all over the United States playing with the likes of Ike Turner and Shania Twain. Uh, Plays guitar, sings, does the whole deal, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you, I had a great conversation. One of my favorite episodes I've done in a while. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Tim Solomon. All right, Tim. Hey. Thanks for joining me. Good to join you, my friend. So, um, how's your week been? Let's just start there. It's been pretty uh, interesting. It snowed twice in April, which I was not exactly expecting. God, I know. (laughs) Right when the good weather was coming around. You're you're feeling it's spring, you know? You're going outside a lot, and then all of a sudden, it's snowing. What the hell? I know. It's not. Well, then now, (laughs) and the rain, which is good. Like, I don't mind rain, honestly. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I always have to remind myself, having not uh, moved here that long ago, that we're, we're just south of Canada. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, that where did you live before this? You said St. Louis? St. Louis. Okay. So, it spent a long time in St. Louis, raised my daughter there, moved there, here from there. Okay, right? yeah. And then... Why move here? Like, what was... I don't think I've ever asked you that. Uh, it, it's actually kind of a good question. It was one of those, gotta go someplace, right? St. Louis had, uh, in many ways, worn out its welcome. I was just kind of sick of it. Uh, crime was getting really bad there. Um, the, the city's just becoming kind of a mess. You know, for a city that size, the services are... You know, you can't... For instance, you get in an accident, right? person doesn't want to give you their insurance card. You call the police, and you're standing there... Six hours later, and the police haven't come, so you just go home, right? You know, right? Like, well, well, especially now, right? With that, because yeah, how long have you been here? It's not been that long. Uh, November is when I moved here, okay? So, yeah, so just not even a year, pretty, um, right? When all that stuff was going down with like the defund the police and yep, stuff like that, yep. And and you know, St. Louis is one of because Ferguson, you know, so it was one of the early places where that started happening, and I lived right in the city. I lived upstairs, and my buddy Rob and I had a recording studio and practice space and stuff that we had local bands practice in and rent out and record in. Um, and it just started getting dicey because I was right in the city proper, and I lived there. And uh, so there were some incidents, and so you know I started noticing certain cars driving by my apartment really slow, Ooh. and they left messages and stuff. You know, the Roland Forty Bloods. So I decided to move out of town. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to go west. My brother loved I he lived in Denver and I traveled around the west with him a lot. And I always liked uh the state of Montana, but I wanted a kind of bigger city because I play music and there's a little more job opportunities and stuff. So this was kind of the natural choice. Interesting. Had you never been here before? Nope. I mean I'd driven through. We went he and I went up to Kalispell once from Denver, so we drove through, but that was about it. Interesting. Huh. That's it's just I, I'm always so curious when people move, not just to Billings, but to Montana in general, especially from bigger cities. Right. Because it just seems, it's, I guess it's weird for me because I've lived here my whole life. And it's not like I don't understand it because I like living here. But it's just an interesting choice to me because it's like there's so many places. Yeah. And I, look, every place has its, you know, its pluses and minuses. I've lived in a lot of different cities. So I lived in Chicago for a long time. which And it was safer then. It wasn't as crazy as it is now. But... You know, there's pluses and minuses, so there's an amazing amount of stuff to do in Chicago, right? Any kind of food you want to get, there's a show. You can go see a band any night that'll be good. 
there's lots of stuff going on. But, you know, there's a real good chance your car is going to get broken into at least a couple of times when you live there. Stuff will get stolen. You might get mugged. You know, you got to question what subway or, you know, L train platform you're standing on at what time of night. So, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs. The other thing is, if you live in Chicago and you're just kind of sick of the city and you want to see something pretty, you have to drive a long way, right? I mean, yeah, the lake is nice, but it's still you're surrounded by city and there's tons of people. In Billingsville, I'm in a bad mood. I can grab my acoustic guitar drive seven minutes and see nobody and be in someplace incredibly beautiful and just sit there and play and not have to worry about anything. Yeah, well, that, and even... kind of nice. <laughs> oh, for sure. And even, you know, crime has increased dramatically in the last few years but it's got to be nothing in comparison to a place like chicago or, or st louis or st right. louis right it, and it's that's exactly right like in st louis i can i can go okay so perfect example we i told you your cousin and i were playing a little music last night i drove into downtown with my you know my custom guitar and amp and stuff in my car and you know beep beep lock my car with the alarm on wasn't worried about it right i can never do that in st louis chicago I mean, I still wouldn't recommend it here. Right. No, I wouldn't do it often. Right. But still, you know, I, could, I wouldn't even think of doing that in those cities. For sure. For sure. It's <laughs> like, I've I've never had my car broken into downtown. And it's like, you know, I'm down there all the time. I'm, I'm sure it happens. But to the frequency of a place like right. a big city. That's when I went to Denver this last year. And I, I don't really know the crime their their level of crime down in Denver, but I refuse to like drive around the city and just park my car on the street. Yeah, so, I, I, exactly. Like one of the things people ask me, do you miss St. Louis? And I miss the old St. Louis, like what it used to be like. So, for instance, I well, love the Cardinals. Right, go, would go to about twenty games a year at least. You can't park your car down there anymore. You have to take the train mm-hmm. because there's literally a, like every after every game, you just see smashed window glass all over the streets and. They used to have enough police to where, like, that was kind of a sacred thing, right? The cops were like, okay, we can't have people afraid to go to Cardinals games. Yeah, that's, that's way too big a draw for the city. Bread and butter. But now it is. Like, even the tourists are like, well, you might get mugged down there. And it's like, you can't, you can't have that, right? And, and to me, that's, like, one of the things I miss is, sure, it always had crime. But you knew, like, downtown at a Cardinals game, you were fine. Or if you went to a concert, there's the, the stadium the Blues playing has a lot of music shows. You could go to a show there, walk back to your car with your girlfriend, and not be afraid you were going to get mugged. And that's not true anymore. And you just can't, you know. Yeah, there's always going to be some crime in a city. But if you're at the point where you're like, yeah, uh, you know, tools in town, but I'm not going to take my girlfriend because yeah, you that's, don't. That's no good. <laughs> well. It seems like you're definitely in the group of many people. You're not the only one who who moved out of big cities and moved into somewhere like more rural or just a little bit more small. Because, and even here, I I have always liked the size of Billings. I think it's always been perfect for me. And and you know when I was younger, I I always thought maybe go to a bigger city. But even just traveling to big cities for three days at a time or so, that was like plenty for me. Yep. It's like, but I could never also live in a in a thousand person tiny town no i couldn't yeah, like not enough going on exactly so <laughs> you find a good balance we're we're eight hours from denver you know and an easy flight an hour 45 minute flight denver vegas phoenix seattle you know we got big cities around us that aren't that they're not close enough to be like a problem right but they're not far enough to be like too too much of a burden 
Yeah, and I, it is. It's even cities I love. When there's a, I also think there's like that diminishing returns point where you get almost too big. Like I love New York City, but I never lived there. I've played music there. I've done stuff there. I've traveled there a bunch. I don't think I could ever live there because it's just too much. Like it, just walking down the street in Manhattan, your your, your blood pressure oh, goes dude. up. <laughs> I could. I've I've never been to the East Coast. I've. I've been West Coast. Uh, San Diego is probably the biggest city I've ever been to. But even downtown San Diego was a piece of cake. Like, yeah. we were walking it. Every big city I've ever been to, honestly, I've never had any issues walking around downtown. Even, like, Dallas. Like, Dallas was a piece of cake walking around. So you haven't been to the really scary ones. <laughs> uh, right. No, I haven't. I haven't. You know, Chicago, D.C., Houston, parts of L.A., Oakland. Memphis. Detroit. Me- oh, Memphis. Memphis is Memphis is one of the few cities I've been to where I literally went two blocks off where, you know, we were directed to be visiting there. Somebody was sending us to a restaurant and we went two blocks off and immediately, and this is me with, you know, three other guys, one of whom is big, two of whom are black. And we're all just like, holy shit, we got to get out of here. This is no, 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 no. So (laughs) why do you think it's interesting? Because now that I'm thinking about it, it seems like West Coast big, like at least Western half of the United States cities don't really have that reputation as much as East Coast or, or you know. I, I think parts of them do, right? So, no, you're right. Like, or Midwest, the big Midway, like Detroit and, and Chicago and St. Louis and, right. and Memphis all have really scary spots. But, I mean, I guess, you know, L.A., I suppose, is pretty rough. And then now Portland. And Oakland is Oh, for sure. Oakland's real bad. Now, the funny thing is, is, you know, Oakland has the super rich Bay Area right around it. So I think when people think of the Bay Area, they go, oh, it's nice there. But there's parts of San Francisco and Oakland that are really scary, too. Um, I think the West Coast spreads out their poor people better. They're not as concentrated in one part of the city. Um, So, like, in L.A., I mean, everybody knows, like, Compton and South Central are working class and kind of tough. But it's more spread out, right? I think I don't think there's, like, a ghetto in la i mean there's there's the skid railway um but i don't think there's a ghetto like there is in the big industrial cities like you said more spread out like you know phoenix is another big city that's just spread out and there's plenty of crime and poor people there but they're not all just in one correct yeah so it doesn't blend together so much like in a baltimore or even new york right right and in 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 those cities you can really like especially in the really segregated ones like in st louis the whole north side of the city is a is basically a ghetto i mean there's little pockets that are better baltimore it's the west part you know philadelphia it's the northwest part so uh yeah central west so you can really pick out these like in detroit you know right away when you're in the area you're not like "Ah, there's a lot of boarded up buildings i need to turn around well in vegas is kind of like that too it's like if you if you venture off the strip it's kind of dicey yeah I think a lot of it is like the West Coast cities were are a little more modern, so they were designed to be car cities and not as lumped together and, you know, not as built up. That makes sense. So say, uh, you said you played music, mm-hmm. um, and I know you've told me about some of the things you've toured in and stuff. Kind of just give me a background of... Of all the... Where it started and some of your bigger projects. I, I started playing... Uh, guitar and bands in high school and it's funny because I, I, I played with older musicians right away because I wanted to learn I wanted to get better and then I had good equipment I worked and saved up and uh, 
I was willing to just play rhythm guitar and let the other guys, you know, play lead and stuff. And then I'd get my little moments. Um, so I started in bands in high school and my dad wrote this back in the day when you could actually do this. My dad wrote a little note saying I could play in bars. Oh yeah. I had to be 21. Randy um, Rhodes style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was great. And then, um, when I went away to college, I did some music study and when I came back, I got lucky. I was playing in a band with a bunch of friends of mine and, uh, the guy who was managing our band called me and said, do you, this guy got kind of a weird gig for you personally to play guitar. And I was like, okay, what is it? And he said, well, Ike Turner's getting out of jail. And I said, from Ike and Tina Turner, he said, yeah, he, and he needs younger musicians to back him up. I was like, oh God, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. So I got to do a lot of gigs with Ike Turner and, uh, I think he called them the Rhythm Kings. He later changed it to the Kings of Rhythm when he had other guys in it. But um, we toured around the South and Midwest and, you know, played gigs around St. Louis a lot. And I learned an amazing amount from that. He let me do more lead stuff, and I got better at that. And then it was just playing in my own bands. I moved to D.C. for a while because um, there was a really good music scene there in the 90s, and I played in some bands there. Did a fill-in gig for Cheryl Crow for a while when her guitar because she's a st louis based and her manager i knew um that made me some money which was nice um but it's been sort of a hit or miss thing i took a long time off after my daughter was born because i was custodial parent to raise her um but yeah so it's one of the fun things about moving back here and being you know my daughter's an adult now and so i could uh, and i have a little bit of money now so i can kind of do musical projects and not have to worry about it kind of start over not have to worry about making money and have fun with it so and i was impressed for a city this size billings has a lot of music going on well a lot it's kind of it goes in waves it seems like as as far as i've noticed and right now we're at a really good yeah peak. i mean there's a lot of people playing a lot of interesting stuff in town I, I, one of the cool things and this is really not true in a lot of the much bigger city music scenes I've been to is it's not very genre conscious here. Like people, yeah. people who are into metal will go see a bluegrass band or a funk band or like, be, or want to collaborate with people who play. And in a lot of other cities, it's like, you know, this the is, metal bands are here and the, the hip hop yeah. country. And, and, and like, you know, a guy who plays like industrial or electronic or metal music would never want to play with like an acoustic musician. And, and here nobody cares about that. And I really like that. Also the age thing is less important here. Uh, like you see, music, you see younger and older musicians playing in a lot of places. It's band of older guys, band of younger guys. Not much in between. Yeah, well, it's, it seems like there's that image thing where, yeah. like, see, our band is we're we're all kind. You know, I'm twenty. I'm the youngest in twenty eight, and then I think Aaron's the oldest. Aaron's what like forty? Forty two or forty? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like it's a wide range. And the, I think that helps so much. He brings so much different experience and ideas to it. When it's all guys who have listened to the exact same bands growing up. It's You're just going to be that band. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 And I've seen it many a times here, right. here even. But I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's like all image based. It should be based on what sounds good. Right. And, and the funny thing is, like, if you look at successful bands over time, like not flash in the pan success, but bands that had someone, a lot of the guys in the bands didn't have much of a great image, you know, like, I mean, okay, everybody knows, you know, Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger, but you know, Charlie Watts wasn't exactly Mr. Rockstar, right? right. Uh, square haircut and suits. 
um, you know, Leslie Weston Mountain was a fat guy. The guys in Cream were kind of weird looking other than Eric Clapton. You know, uh, well, although it's a big thing about, I think, aging and still playing rock music is aging gracefully. I just saw today. I wake up, I get on my computer, I'm sort of scrolling through stuff. And I see the promotional picture for Styx's new tour. Now, no disrespect to Styx. They have a catalog. People want to go pay and see them. But when I saw the picture, all I could think was Domo Rigato, Mr. Robotox. They all looked like old women, man. They look like the older uh, butch sisters of the chicks uh, uh, from Sex in the City. It's like, what are you doing to your face? <laughs> I Like, age gracefully, you know. Yeah, you want to wear, you know, uh, a hair extensions or something, fine. But, you know, when you've got so much stuff injected in your face, look, nobody's buying that you're under 30 in sticks anymore. Well, okay? who, cares? <laughs> it's like, who cares, too? And anybody going to see sticks knows you're a 70s and 80s act. It's right. not like they think, you know, you're young. You're not fooling anybody. So right. just get up there. Look, I have a lot of respect for the bands who are still going who don't have any pretenses about trying to do like, like I, as much as people will give them crap for this, ACDC always stuck to their guns. They never trend top. They never tried nope. to put synths in something. They, they played straight ahead, hard blues rock. And that's what they always did. Now, could they have added a little more variety? Sure. But I appreciated that they never said, Oh, this isn't hip anymore. We need to do, you know, and I get why bands experiment too, out of boredom sometimes. Like they want to try something new, but yeah, it's like if when you do, when you go a complete different direction, like what Lincoln Park did in their last couple albums, it's like. And I didn't hate it, but I get why some of their fans weren't receptive to it. Right, it, or or like if it fits naturally into what you do, right? So if it's just like, well, we're already kind of, um, you know. We're a heavy band that does like riffy Sabbathy stuff, so now we're gonna throw some like more blues or funk or something in there. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But if it just looks like you're trend hopping, right? So I think, and this isn't a band that I'm hugely into, but the one I see where people talk about this all the time is when that band Fallout Boy went from being kind of a punk pop band to doing like dubstep and having these all these sampled synthesizers in there when every other pop act was doing those drops and having. That's when you look kind of lame. Right, right. right. Like, I, a band that I like that a lot of people got on for experimenting was Radiohead. They were like, oh, oh. They, they're not using as many guitars. But they were always experimental. So who cared that they started adding more experimental? I mean, they were always like that. But, like, you know, if, if, if you know, Blink-182 had suddenly started doing dance music with synthesizers, everybody would be like, what? Come on. You right, know? Like, right. What? Come on. And, and I get that. I, so... You're right, though. There's a line between changing your sound and experimenting in a natural way that works because you're and just doing it to try and sell more records. I think that's where or get more people to click sell more records. I sound ancient. Get more people to click on your Spotify. Well, and I definitely think a lot of just social media in general and just basic media being able to like view uh, videos and performances rather than like back in the day when image didn't really matter as much yeah. as the sound. Now it's like both. You kind of have to have both. And I don't really vibe with that because I'm just like, look however you want or like yeah. act however you want. As long as what you're playing sounds good, 
I mean, right. I'm not driving in my car watching you. I'm not sitting at home with my headphones in watching how you and, act on stage or what you're wearing. And, and you know, it's funny. Now there's more ways than ever to, like, have a cool image without it having to be, like, you know, your appearance. Like, you can... Um, I don't know if you've noticed that band. It was about a decade ago, but uh, that band OK Go that did mm-hmm. really cool stuff with videos... They had the one of them on the treadmills and then, you know, you can do stuff like that, right? And it could be, you can just take a clip of your song and put it on Instagram or TikTok and it can go viral without any of your faces being in it or right. anything. There's so many other creative ways to market your band now with the internet and everything oh, yeah. that could use cool images. You can do, um, you can make videos that are just all, you know, color and image and stuff to go along with your music. There's so much neat stuff you can do that I don't know why people get locked into that. Like, you know, our band has to be, you know, four tatted up guys with skinny jeans and crazy hair. It's like, yeah, nobody really cares about that anymore. I don't think, especially yeah. since people are on Spotify, not even seeing you or on, you know, whatever streaming service, usually not even looking at the screen. They're listening to it on a different window while they're doing something else. Well, that just tells me that your mind is somewhere other than the music. Like you're, you're not fully, you're more about, I don't know, just what people think about you rather than what product you're putting into the world. Well, and that's, it's funny though, because you know, having done music, but then other styles of performance too, you learn pretty quickly. There's a lot of people who go into it for, kind of weird reasons oh yeah like yeah they're a fan of it but like they want recognition or they don't feel you know uh i I did a little bit of stand-up comedy that which is really hard um and i think a lot of comedians go into it for really good reasons Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are unhappy people who want people to make them feel like i'm a mirth maker i make people happy and that's a bad reason to go into it. You're well, not you're not going to get life satisfaction from your audience. Right, right. Well, and <laughs> it does seem to be that, at least from what I understood with the bigger comedians, that they come from rougher backgrounds or yep. like, you know, they were bullied or it was like a defense mechanism type thing. Yep. And why, that's why they're funny. And obviously, some most of them end up getting out of that once they become popular. But it, in the initial phase, you know, that's where it all comes from. It stems from like, defense really yeah yeah i mean i i, I think you're 100 right you, you especially you look at some of the best comedians the situations they grew up in were crazy you know richard Pryor's yeah. mother was a prostitute and he grew up above the brothel it's right. like you know that's gonna have a weird impact on your view of life you know it's like lenny bruce's mother was a stripper uh you know it, these weird situations um uh although yeah well, well you say things to talk about there's been this weird thing of comedians dying recently. It, I, I agree. I, it's, you know, Norm MacDonald passed, Gilbert Gottfried, Bob Saget, uh, you know, all these comedians who I really loved. And it's funny because they were all these guys who were like, totally didn't give a crap what the reaction was. Right. Like, I, three of the guys who were the most like, willing to say anything if they thought it would get a laugh. And popular. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it still amazes me that Norm Macdonald got away with some of the jokes. Oh. He did. He was, I mean, he still, I remember he went on Conan once and he sat down and he said, you know, this Hitler guy, the more I learn about him, the less I like him. This <laughs> opening well, line. Well, because that was his thing was just, he would, he would just, he'd almost try and tank just to see if he would, could bounce back. I, and I, 
that's a real sign of somebody who's confident in their community. There was a comedian named Patrice O'Neill. Oh, Patrice uh, is one of the best. A genius. And I remember watching one of his, uh, it's on YouTube somewhere. He was in Montreal. It's at some Montreal comedy festival. When he gets over, he goes, Montreal's got a lot of pussies in it. Y'all pussy whip. Your women run you. And he's like, of course, they're booing, booing. So he's got all the men against him. He goes, a lot of old pussy in Montreal, 30 and older. <laughs> and then he, he manages to make everybody, so first he pisses off all the men, then he pisses off most of the women. Yeah, yeah. But then by the end, he's got absolutely everybody laughing at him. And like, that's the kind of thing. You, you, that's a comedian who's been on the road for a really long time. And it's just like, oh, I'm a little bored. Let's see how good I can well, do Well, it's this. a good exercise too, just to dig yourself out of the hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great, it's funny because, I was talking about this when we were uh, we were at that show the other night. I think it's a really important thing as a band to be able to have, like, to be able to change your mood according to the audience. Um, and this is one thing I learned from Ike Turner is that you got a sense, like, do you need more slow songs? Do you need to pick up the pace? Do you need to make it a little heavier? Do you need to make it a little lighter based on the crowd there? And I think if you can't do that as a band, if you just have like your one show, you can't kind of, I think that limits you too, right? So I think that's true for almost anything, you know, kind of in life. Like you need to learn to adjust your your role a little bit to to the room. Like comedians say no the room all the Mm -hmm, time, right? mm -hmm. If you're doing a corporate gig, you don't want to go up there and do your most, you know, cursing, harsh rep. If there's, you know, families in the audience, same thing. You got to kind of watch it. But then you don't want to do your tame show late at night when the audience has had, you know, a few drinks. drinks. Yeah, yeah. you want to kind of go all out then. Um, and I think it's like that with everything. And I think a lot of bands kind of screw that up. Like, for instance, if you're a real heavy band, but you're opening and it's early in the show, you don't necessarily just want to be like pummeling. Right. They're not ready for it yet, right. you know. Like I said, Ike was great about that. Like I remember we played, we were playing someplace in Alabama and we were doing a later show and it was a pretty rowdy crowd. And like before we even did the second song, he turns around and says, all the ballads come out. That's pretty smart. smart. Like, everybody's dancing. Don't do ballads. It'll bring everything back down. It'll take a while to get it back up. Right. So yeah, he he was a sharp showman, you know. Uh, yeah. We've, we've been pretty good about adjusting our sets due to where we're playing. Like, if we're playing at a dive bar, we're going to play more of our heavy, like, yeah. you know, rowdy stuff. If we're playing at Craft Local, we want to play the ballads and stuff because it's more of a sit. You no, know, people are sitting down and. Right, exactly. You know, I, it's you play in a biker bar, you're going to whip out, you know, more bluesy, heavy Yeah, rock we're not going to play our acoustic stuff. Because <laughs> there's going to be bottles coming at you. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm like, yeah, play to the room, you know? Exactly. And that's why it's good to have a variety of music. As far as bands go, it definitely lessens or it, it opens you up for more possibilities of places to play. I, I just think it's like it's one of those things. Uh, and maybe this is being a little older, having had a bunch of different jobs and stuff. I think that's a true thing in almost everything in life. Like if you can be a little more flexible at your job, if you can do a couple more different things, you know, the more your utility knife. Yep. You know, you want to have a couple really specialized things you're good at, but if you can pull out a couple, you, as a musician, if you can play another instrument, if you can sing a different style, you like, you bring something else to the table, you make yourself more valuable, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true with it, with anything. Yeah. The, and that's why it's good to learn a lot of different things. If you, if you're interested in something, just do it, just try yeah. it out. Well, I tell when I give some guitar lessons and stuff and I tell young musicians all the time, I think one of the mistakes so many musicians make is 
yeah, you obviously want to practice, right? Before you get on stage, you want to have the act you're going to do down. But don't worry about you as an individual performer being incredible right away. You're not going to be, and you're going to have bad gigs. Everybody does. Even really good players have bad gigs. But get up there and do it, right? Like, once you have a band together in high school, play the talent show, even if you're not that good Oh, yeah. Get a gig, you know, at a park, even if you're not that good yet. Get eyes on you, because that's the only way to get better. But And also, it is good to fail. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like... I've played terrible, terrible, you know, music shows, but it's like you learn from that. You become better for it. The worst thing you can do is have a crowd of your friends who are just <laughs> going to cheer you on no matter what. No matter how bad you play. Right. And, and same with comedy. Comedy is the oh, same way. Well, comedy – and the funny thing about comedy is I think you actually learn way more from the sets where you, where you mostly bomb mm-hmm. – because you won't bomb the whole way through. You'll have a couple hits, but you'll learn, like, okay, I I hadn't thought that joke through all the way, so the pacing was way off. I meandered, or I telegraphed the punchline. You know, you, you, you learn a lot from your failure. Like you said, you learn a little from success. Like, that was good, but you, you learn way more from when you mess up because you, you figure out what not to do or how to prevent that or, you know. That's yeah, well, and and cert- sometimes you have to change a certain word, even because or, or emphasize on a specific part or get physical in a certain part. Sometimes you know you try different things out, and the same yeah, the same goes with music. It's like maybe I'll try this here instead this time, see how the reaction is, or if it doesn't work, then I'll try it differently the next time. You know, fear of failure is one of those big things. I think it holds a lot of people back in a lot of different ways because you know, you're gonna fail, right? Like, I mean, if you're an athlete, let's say, um, let, let pick, pick basketball, fear of taking the shot when you're open is worse than taking the shot and missing, right? It's better to regret something you, you have done than something you haven't. You can always go oh, back yeah. and fix the thing you have. Done. And, and like, I think a lot of people get stuck in ruts because, like, they have this other idea of something they could do, but they're afraid to try it. And... You know, you're going to fail no matter what. Like, everybody who's really good at something failed a few times. You know, J- Jimi Hendrix failed, had bad gigs, you know, was kicked out of bands. Oh, yeah. Al- Albert Einstein had theories that didn't work out that failed, but you got to take those risks. But, and I don't know whether this is like social media or what. I think people are more risk averse now than I've ever experienced. And I think it's because I think a lot of it does have to do with like social media and stuff because you're way more likely to be ridiculed by people. Sure. There was a time where if you failed, sure. you know, like for instance, there was a time where if you started a business and it failed, people didn't really know. I mean, a few people who knew you and maybe a couple of people who saw the business close, but like people weren't just gossiping about it and talking about it. But now it's on Twitter and it's on blah. So I, I think there might be like, I saw it when I was teaching in students. I, when I went to high school, you know, yeah, every once in a while, there'd be somebody who was super shy, who was afraid to like answer a question and get it wrong. But I saw it a ton when I was teaching recently. And I think it's a lot of like the social media and influence thing where you don't want to be ridiculed for being wrong when you're in a math class. Who cares if you get a multiplication problem wrong? I never, you know, and I was always concerned about my grades. My parents were professors and stuff, but I was never embarrassed if the other people in class saw me get something wrong because I saw them get things wrong, you know, so who, who really cared? But I noticed it. And I think that like, and I don't mean to be a fogey. I like social media. I think it's really good. You get, it's you people like they experience a lot more music and art. I think they 
learn more about people from other countries. I, I Easier now that, to promote yourself, promote oh, your projects, things like that. And like I know more about weird, obscure things than when I was young before the internet. Like, well, it's the world's library in the palm of your hand. Yeah, I mean, I've I, infinite information. Exactly. As well, okay. A perfect example. Since we were talking about music, as much of a music freak as I am, and I worked in used record stores and knew a ton about music. Until the internet, I never knew anything about like 70s Peruvian psychedelic music or like funk from Nigeria from the 80s. It's like, I guess those records never made it here. Even like, even guys who are into weird, obscure imports, that stuff maybe made it to London, but that was about it. Or, you know, somewhere in Spain with the Peruvian stuff. It didn't get to, you know, St. Louis. Now with the internet, you can get anything from anywhere. And, or like, you know, you can order, um, you know weird ingredients so you can eat you know you can eat whatever you want that's really cool about it but i also think people are way too exposed because of social media right? oh so, for sure definitely so like uh, the perfect example is some kid and this drives me nuts when i see this some kid records himself playing guitar and puts it on youtube right and he's 15 and he's really good but he's not you know you know and he's not like a 28 year old who's really good sure and some jackass has to come on there and be like, oh, you really sloppy. Do something that's not <laughs> really. Well, and the thing about that is you can have 15 positive comments and one negative, and you're going to always focus on the negative. Uh, and, 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 and again, it's one thing if it was somebody my age doing it and somebody came in and criticized it. I've, I'm old enough and have, I'm comfortable enough with my guitar playing to go, hey, the guy just doesn't get my style or I don't care. Some fifteen-year-old, if it's that, especially if they think it's an adult doing it, they're going to feel terrible. It's, it's like, going to shape them, yeah, like, and, and, and they're going to be less reluctant to put themselves out there and take risks playing guitar in the future. And I just think that kind of thing's a bummer, right? It is. I, but at the same time, you also have to, you know, there, there's a level of you have to teach the kids to not feel that way. Correct. Right. If if you're going to have your kids on the internet, let them know. Look. They, yeah, you have to teach them about the flaws of the internet too, and like, don't let this get you down, like. You have you essentially have to adjust to what is the inevitability of the internet, right? And 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 it's one of the things that surprises me when people are like, "Oh my god, I got mean reactions now." You know, like especially when it's somebody like a professional journalist, and you see them come on TV and go, "I can't believe people said mean things to me on the internet." Look, I used to when the you know this is early when I was on the internet. There was a, a, a record trading magazine called Goldmine, and they were trying to do a website. It didn't work out, but they asked me to write some because I had written for the actual physical magazine. They asked me to write some record reviews for the website, and I got death threats for writing record reviews. Okay, Jesus. But and people are nuts, right? And and people are psychologically there's pe- psychologically imbalanced people who spend a lot of time on the internet, and then some people just like to mess with people, right? They're trying to get a reaction, trolls. and they're trying to be mean, and they're hoping they make you feel bad at home. Trolls, exactly right. And so I think it, it, we need to let kids know this, but at the same time, it's also like. I get it. Like I get the humor when somebody's like being overly earnest or doing something goofy. I can't, if it's a total adult, then I get making fun of them. When it's somebody who's like under eighteen, I don't know, man. It just, I kind of like. It, it's one thing if you're just gonna kind of like post it and be like, "Hey, look at this." Okay, but to actually go on where they post it and make comments, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a balancing thing, man. It's like it's just one of those things that we're adjusting to, I think. And it's 
it's just going to be a learning curve to learn how to how to move along with it and to yeah, navigate yeah. it. But it's it's just it's it's here to stay. It's not oh, no, going no, anywhere. Again, and again, I think there's a lot of good things about it. I just think it's it's interesting. And I'm not anti-technology. I'm pretty pro-technology. It's just I think a lot of times people don't think about and like prepare for what technology is going to change, right? So it, it kind of happened with TV, but I think as technology changes faster, which you know the curve is yeah. just accelerating upward, people adjusted to TV, right? You know, you were seeing things and the good and the bad and you know, the TV news and sensationalization and things, but the internet was so quick and changed so fast. Like, the development of the internet and how it went from, you know, these sort of longer form chat rooms. So now it's like Twitter and Instagram and bang, 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 you know. And, and everyone can see it. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's taking a lot more adjusting. Oh, and, for sure. Especially because it was like basically just thrust into us so fastly. Like it was, it's really only because TV, what was that? That We've had TV since the twenties, right? Yeah, and, and TV was slow developing because it was it was at first it was kind of expensive. Not everyone could afford one, so some homes had it, and right. there, and there weren't very many channels at first. It was so, a gradual, yeah. Whereas, you know, the internet went from just being this thing in like some colleges and stuff to everybody who had a computer had it, and you could talk to anybody. Yeah, I mean, Facebook's only been around for like maybe fifteen years or so, uh, yeah. and that's it. Sounds long. But that's not a lot. I mean, that's only a generation's worth of adjusting. Yeah. It, it's weird to me the, oh, to also see, like, again, having taught high school not that long ago, um, the difference in the habits with it, right? So I look at, like, people, sort of my parents' age down to mine, and then there's sort of a, it depends, middle space. But, like, younger people share so much, but they're so much more public about everything that happens to them. Whereas, you know, my generation, especially my parents' generation, was much more like private, you know, private, and you only talk to certain people about like the you know emotional and stuff. That's a weird thing to adjust to, and I think a big thing about the, like getting ridiculed and stuff is it's not very hard to get ridiculed when you're holding most of the like really most sensitive stuff. And eh, somebody wants to ridicule you a little bit, but man, when you're revealing like your you know your deepest most painful things and people ridicule that that's mm. oh dude well at the same time you're kind of putting yourself up for that well it, it, yeah if you're it, gonna put that out in the world then you got to expect you know people not everyone's gonna be sympathetic towards and, you and that's why i would tell my students all the time like when i had high school so i was like don't say don't go with your breakup stories on the internet because well, most, and, most of the internet is not nice and forgiving. Yes, you'll get the nice and forgiving responses, but those are the people you would have gone to personally and you actually know them. Yeah, or even just your your basic like thoughts on things or your your perspective, you know. I guess it's not cuz you're going to change your mind along the way. You're you're going to say some I look back at some of my like high school posts that I made and oh, I God. roll my eyes, dude. It's it's the most cringeworthy stuff I've ever seen. I'm just like, I really <laughs> said that? Like, what an idiot. I I'm really glad <laughs> there wasn't Twitter when I was in like high school and college cuz you know, I mean, at the time I thought of myself as this like revolutionary anarchist and of I course. said crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was commenting on things I had no business commenting oh, uh, on. Yeah, I mean, I said stuff about blowing up corporations. I mean, if I, if I, really, I mean, it was just 
partly being funny, blowing off steam, and you know, sure. my friends and I. But yeah, it really would have been bad to say. On oh yeah, Twitter. <laughs> definitely would have been controversial to say the least, or problematic. <laughs> right, right. I mean, oh God, it's funny the stuff that's going on with Disney right now because my friends and I had this joke. You know, war. We hated Disney. We hated all things Disney, and so like we had, we made t-shirts with mickey mouse with arrows going through his head and x's his <laughs> eyes and you know like, <laughs> I, and I don't know what it was it was just you know you and your friends get these goofy you know you, you know wars against something it's mm-hmm. like well and that disney's always been a big corporation uh, yeah and it's only getting dramatically bigger yeah 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 and you know and the fact that everything is so sort of Yay, we love kids it has a slightly creepy sheen to it. It does, it does, yeah. <laughs> Especially know. with like all this stuff about Epstein and you know, all the, all this coming to light, uh, yeah. it makes it even a little bit more weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, and Walt Disney was a really weird guy with some odd views, and it's just a strange company. I mean, you know, I love Winnie the Pooh as much as the next guy, but some of that stuff's a little bit weird. I mean, I like the Lion King. You know, some of that stuff's good, but it's a weird, it's a weird company. The Magic Kingdom, all that. Right. Well, there's almost a hundred percent certainty that there's some skeletons in those. <laughs> and you know, and, and I mean, I I can't help but you know, I remember I I went to Disney World once with my family and. Uh, I I loved some of the rides, but like that, it's a small world one with all the you know little kids singing. It gave me the creeps. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a weird you know. Well, and you've seen all like the the uh, subliminal messaging things that are in some of the movies. Yeah, you know, look again. Almost any time you have a whole group of you know slightly flamboyant, and I don't mean that in a sexual way, adults making weird entertainment for kids. Weird stuff comes off. I just like I watch a lot of children's entertainment with, you know, a slightly <laughs> askance eye. Like I always thought when my daughter was little, uh, and the Jerry Falwell stuff has nothing to do with it. I thought the Teletubbies were really goddamn weird. I didn't care if they were gay or not. I just thought this is an <laughs> extremely strange show. They talk to the son. They thought about a Tubby Custard. Some weird crap, like oh, it's like an LSD trip. Oh yeah, it was extremely strange. You know, I I actually thought Aquatine Hunger Force was a lot more normal than Teletubbies. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, some of that shows, and I can't remember. There's a couple other ones that I like. Really was like, this is really really strange. Was it Yu Gi Oh? That was some strange oh, stuff. A- anime stuff is definitely very weird, and that's another thing that's gotten really more like pushed into the mainstream is yeah. anime. And anime is. I, and as I got some anime stuff here, but like I'm not like crazy, crazy into it. I I just know in the in the deeper circles of that, yeah, it gets I a mean, little dicey. And you're also not five. I mean, they, some of it's animated at really aimed at really little kids with some really weird stuff going on. Now, again, I don't know that the really little kids see it and go, "Oh, that's really weird." But I do. <laughs> I would watch cartoons with my daughter and be like, "This is, you know, Barney." Yeah, there's some like creepy stuff in that. Like, yeah, but. It, and there's this, there's a level to where, okay, there's Disney movies where, you know, they're fun for kids and adults. You know, they, they put in some, like, some off-color oh, yeah, humor, yeah, yeah. but it's totally, sub, like, the kid would never get it. Right. It's, it's definitely, like, that's an adult joke that the kid will never get. It's it's slight enough that it's not corruptive to the child. Right, exactly. And so that's that's fine to me. Like, I find that to be... But then, you know, when you start picking apart some of the more subliminal messages... Yes. 
Again, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I can't remember them, but Teletubbies I particularly found disturbing. And I, you know, I never told my daughter anything about it. I was like, this is, I don't know who's pr- producing this stuff, but their head's in a weird place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, God, I was tr- I'm trying to remember some of the, I mean, like Courage the Cowardly Dog. Did you ever? I don't remember that one, but that, there were a lot of those. It was, that was my era, and it was, it's just one of the creepiest, even look, I, I watch it today, and I get the chills. Like, it creeps me that the hell out. It's like, it's, and that was for children. Right. And and, and even certain shows oh, yeah, that Courage, were, I do remember that one. That, that, I mean, again. Well, even like the Powerpuff Girls, like a, a show that you would never imagine to be like, weird in any such way. And it's kind of like Spongebob, you know, there's, there's episodes maybe not the whole series but there's episodes that you're like what the fuck yeah and uh, look on some on one hand i on the ones that are a little more geared towards both kids and adults like spongebob i always thought spongebob threw in a lot of little sure asides for the adults but there's some that are just like pure kids entertainment mm-hmm. like that are ex- like 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 teletubbies that are extremely strange i there's some from foreign countries um that I streamed on YouTube where like, I think it was Brazilian where like incredibly scantily clad women shaking around and guys doing the, Oh no, no. How is this a kid's show? Well, I, I suppose if they're foreign, there's, there's no regulation on things like that. Well, right. But I still wonder, aren't there adults in Brazil who are going, yeah, no, this isn't kids. programming. <laughs> I guess it's might be cultural though. Like it's hard. It, you really can't dissect you know, foreign stuff as oh, true. much. True, true. Yeah, okay, mores are different. But I also, and this is, again, being somebody who who likes kids and went into teaching and even worked in early childhood, okay? I like kids. I like adults who like kids. But the adults who really, 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 really like kids and they're super cheery about it and they talk to them like this all the time, they give me the creeps. I oh, <laughs> it is creepy. It's like, it's, you know what though? It's like, Women, it doesn't give me the creeps when they're when they're more like that because they're supposed to be more of a nurturing. It's when dudes are like that that it makes me really true. Weird. Although I, I'm sure there's certain levels to to women's weirdness. I, yeah, 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 like yeah. I've I've worked and been in schools and stuff where some women are like, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's necessary, and I don't know that it's necessarily sexual. I just think it's really creepy. Yeah, like they themselves are still kind of six or something right right you know, like I, for They're, instance like that like the teacher from billy madison yes. the kindergarten teacher <laughs> exactly exactly so like i would work with i worked in a couple of preschools now when i would read a kid's book i do voices and stuff mm-hmm. but i wouldn't read the whole book like this to the kids because to me that's really disturbing there's something wrong <laughs> well and there's there's all it's also too those are developing years too so they're gonna pick up on that too and it might you never know it's so weird to think psychology wise like what every little thing you can do and say might have an effect (laughs) on somebody later on in life one of my one of my big jokes with people uh you know i was sort of thrust into parenthood i mean i became a dad and loved it my daughter and i have a really close how old were you 27 when oh wow okay she got pregnant 28 when my daughter was born so i was i was at a it was comfortable a reasonable age yeah i'm but glad not... it i'm glad it didn't happen much earlier and then her mom had some postpartum depression and other problems so i became the custodial parent so i kind of got thrust into it uh and you know and I, I i was i did the best i could but i do think 
everybody's going to make mistakes. You just are, as a parent, you're going to do things. You're not even thinking about it because you're your own person too. You're just going to do stuff where, and I would constantly say to myself, eh, it's going to be a therapy bill a little bit later. I'll have to come. There goes 120 bucks towards a session. I'm just going to. Yeah, right. Just put <laughs> it just, away now. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't help it. It's funny too because there's that point. I mean, I'm sure you, you're old enough to reason this point, but there's that point where you realize, and it's kind of a rough point when you're like, it's why I think there's always that moment where, you know, when you're 18, 19, you have that little bit of a rough patch with one or both of your parents where you realize that they were people too and were having their own issues and they, you know, and they're fallible and mess up. And, right. And that's a sort of weird thing to, to hit. But like, as you're parenting, when your kid is little, you're like, oh, I just saw something. I really <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, well, even going back to what you were saying before about like fear of trying things out. It's like, I, I've never really had an ish. I, I've, I was kind of shy growing up, and that's kind of natural, I guess. But, like, as far as performing, I, I used to do theater, I've music, obviously, and I, even now this. It's like, I've never really had a fear of that, but I've always had a fear. It just made me think of this when you were talking about that. I've always had a fear of rejection in talking to women. Yeah. And so uh. now, though, <laughs> I. Now, in my, you know, just thinking psych- psychologically, it's like, I wonder why. Like, there, there must have been something along my way. Maybe it didn't, might not have had nothing to do with my parents, but like something in school, something, something happened along the way that made me not confident in talking to women. And I, you know, it's like you try and trace it back. And, and it's not just with that, but with anything. It's like, why do I, why do I act this way when, when presented with this situation? Something might have happened in my life where, I don't, you know, function well in this scenario. Uh, now, so I really understand you on this one. I'm pretty extroverted. Um, I'm good at chatting. I'm good at initially flirting with women. But if they're not kind of forward back, I'll often find out, oh, I really liked you, but you just kind of stopped. And it's because I kind of put it out there but didn't get much back and saying, oh, she's not in. I mean, oh, so I'm the same I, way. I, I have that same problem. Okay, so I... Now, again, I'll get... To a certain point. So if the woman's the kind of one who will, who's like comfortable and forward and respond, that, but if they're not, I'll, like I said, I'll often find out later. I think the big thing, and I've tried to analyze what it is with me, because I know it's not that I'm shy and I know it's not that I'm super risk averse. I think it's a little bit of the, of my like school socialization. I was, I was an athlete and stuff, but I was never the like super Chad confident guy who didn't, you know, who, had all the ladies and didn't give a crap if somebody said, oh, you know, he's a little bit creepy. And so I always had that, like, oh, I don't want to be the, you know, the guy who's, you know, who's too aggressive. So I think I go under aggressive as compensation. I think a little bit of it has to do with that. And then I think there's also just that, like, you, you, With women, it's a different thing because when you're male, like if you say something a little awkward around your male friends, you're kind of used to them ribbing you and teasing you and being like, oh, but a woman won't be as comfortable as going, oh, oh." I mean, some will. And that's kind of nice when you meet one of those women who will like laugh in a good way and joke with you and it'll be fun. But it's way, you're way more likely to actually get like, oh shit, this feels like crap. Well, I think you also have that level of, uh, you feel... 
you can earn forgiveness really easily with your male friends. Right. Not, e- not even just with male friends, but like if I go meet somebody at the bar I've never met before and it's a guy and I say something ridiculous or I say something like that might be awkward, there's a, there's a level of like I can get away with saying this because he's going to like at least forgive me or even if he doesn't, I don't care. Right. You, you want the approval of the woman so you, you don't want to say anything ridiculous and if you do, you're self-conscious about it. Yeah, and, and, and um, that's a really good point. You're, the way you sort of, your reputation among your male friends is way more dependent on like your actions and things you can fix and things you can like, you know, if they think you're kind of goofy for something, you can make up for pretty, and you don't care as much, right? Because you know, how you're ranked by your male friends it's different. It's dependent on other things. If a couple women start thinking you're a creepo because, like, you said something a little awkward to one of their friends, that, A, it can get around really fast. And that's the kind of reputation you really don't want to can really, like, dog you. And the more you try and fix it, almost like it's like quicksand. You come right. off as creepier and well, creepier. Well, you don't want to be known as that guy. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's a really hard thing to fish yourself out of because you can't – the more you try and say you're not, you look worse – so then you just kind of try and not be, but it takes a long time for that to go away. So yeah, it's a tricky one. Like, you know, I mean, it's also, there's also the age factor. Like I'm old enough now to wear, you know, I've been around, I don't really care that much anymore. So, um, but yeah, when I was younger, it was tricky, you know? And, and there's the thing of, you also like, Unless you're one of those guys, like I said, I don't mean to insult anybody, but if you're one of those guys who like doesn't have much of a conscience about that, you're like, yeah, I screw who I want to screw. They were willing participants. Who cares? Okay, but and and you know, but that's also to me one of those things. Like when you're no longer 26 or 27, which you know you're still in that. Like, once you're in your 30s and stuff, being somebody who does a lot of one night stands isn't very cute anymore. Like right. nobody thinks you're cool anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In your 20s, you might come off as a little cool. No, you come off as just kind of desperate and lame when you're still a one-night stand guy in your 30s and 40s. It just comes off as kind of ugly. Even if you can pull it off, your male friends are no longer going, yeah, they're going, yeah, dude. Because they're all married. and Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, like, yeah, we got through that 10 years ago. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and, and, you know, and you're going to get diseases and you're going to get crazy people and you're going to get, do you really want that anymore? And you don't. The thing is like... It, you don't, once you hit 30 or something, you don't need that much chaos in your life anymore. You don't need, like, you know, the woman you slept with two weeks ago calling you saying, I saw you with that woman last week and now they're angry at each other and they both hate you. And you don't need in your life anymore when you're 30 something. That's, nah. You, know, you really didn't need it when you were 20, but okay, the biological drive was so hard you put up with it. But you're, you know, when, when you're, uh, uh, Knees hurt getting out of the bed. You don't need the first thing to see like, oh, crap. <laughs> Side bitch is complaining. I mean, you know, really? Yeah, yeah. You really need that anymore? <laughs> that's, yeah, a, I, that's a young man's game. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'll find out here before too long. It's it's creeping up on me, so uh, I'll be 29 this year. Uh, 30s are good. I. Uh, it's funny. I think it's funny that the decade thing matters so much. I liked... I liked my thirties because the like the angst of the twenties was over and I was good at some of some things and kind of had a little more confidence about some stuff. It was a good decade. The forties was kind of rough. Now the fifties are good because I'm even better at things and don't care about stuff as much anymore. <laughs> I've I've found that is pretty. That sounds about right. Yeah, it's it, the the thing about hitting fifty was as long as you're not too uptight about being older and I'm not. Like, I lost my hair in my forties, so I didn't care about that anymore. Uh, 
you, you're at that point where you're like, yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff and I just don't care about a lot of things anymore. You have that, yeah. Did you ever go through like a midlife crisis type area? Yeah. Uh, there or was, existential crisis? There was a period in my 40s where it was like, uh, I was doing, uh, I'd gotten a biology degree and I was doing lab science and teaching and stuff, but I was still playing some music and I was really hitting the realization and stuff that like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm cool for my age, but I'm not like I was in my twenties and thirties, you know, hip rock star, full head of hair. Cool. It just, you know, it's okay. And I don't care that much anymore. That was a lot to maintain. You know, I thought about what I wore all the time when I left the house when I was younger and, you know, trying to make an impression on everyone and, it's kind of nice to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to the grocery store and sweat. And if somebody I know sees me, I'm 50. What are they going to do? Be like, well, he's not cool anymore. Like, he's 50. He's not trying that hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. So, like, you know, like we were, like we were talking about, the, the, partly because I was actually trying to make it as a musician in my 20s and early 30s. I, was, I wasn't, like, conscious of my image, like, in the, the you know, we weren't a dress-up band thing. But I still wouldn't go to a bar without making sure I look sharp and like a guy who was trying to make it in the music business. You know? Sure, that makes that makes sense. You just you know you, you know and and that, that takes a lot of work to maintain. Oh, dude, I'm sure before too long you just get tired of it and it's you just do. like fuck it. You do. I mean, and there's, it, it's funny because you, you have a manager, right? And so you do stuff like you make sure if you're doing a public appearance, you're you know you're looking like. You want to for the band, but then they want you to just like anytime you're in public because you never know and it gets tiresome. You're like, yeah, you know, I really don't want to worry about blah. Or like you do a radio uh, interview and like they tell you, you know, oh, don't mention that, you know, you have a biology degree because you come off nerdy. And it's like, Care. <laughs> yeah, who, who cares what the public perception is? And people are like that. It's funny. I like. I think it's kind of. Uh, I like it when I find out a musician has outside interests. Like I like that Brian May from Queen has a physics degree, and I like that the singer from Bad Religion is a biologist. Like I think that's cool that they do other things and aren't just. Yeah, they're not one dimensional. Yeah, you know David Byrne from the Talking Heads is in it. All kinds of other weird stuff. I like that. You know you. I mean, I guess it is one thing that, like, you want if you're if you're if you're cultivating the rock star image, you want everybody to think that long. You you're always cool and you're always playing guitar and have a cigarette hanging out of the corner of your mouth. But really, you're a person. You raise kids. You know, you do your laundry. I kind of like that you get that view. Like, I I sort of have always liked the uh, musicians who come across as more regular people. I always liked that Tom Petty just seemed like a guy you could hang out with. You know, I kind of like that, uh, uh, you know, the members of Black Sabbath, while a metal band, always seemed like you could talk to Just those chill. guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Tony Iommi seemed like a dude you could sit down and have a beer with. I didn't really think Eddie Van Halen, he always seemed like... Partier. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so I kind of like the more... I, I, and I think maybe the background has a lot to do with that, because... I think all the guys in Black Sabbath were like dirt poor, whereas all of Van Halen were rich kids from the valley. <laughs> yeah, that definitely shapes you too. Yeah. You know, when you're not, when you, you, the humility aspect of it, I think, comes comes in that a little bit more. And you're going to get all kinds of different. And, and to your point, that goes back to the social media thing where it's like public perception kind of is, 
it's a little bit more readily available to everybody. Yeah, and yeah. it's not you can be the public perception doesn't happen when you leave the house. Now it's happening while you're in everywhere. The house. I know that's why. Like it amazes me that a lot of celebrities who are like super controlling about their image in every other way do these weird Twitter and Instagram videos and stuff where you're like, I bet you didn't run this by your public or <laughs> you did this, do you? This is oh, not yeah. a good move. This is not, but whatever. Uh, I always, it's funny though. I've had a couple of uh, celebrity run-ins just from like waiting tables and doing other stuff like that. And the, I'm doing music stuff. And the ones who I always liked, it, it, some were predictable, but some not like, and a lot of that had to do with they seemed the least like big stars. Like I waited on Bill Murray. Oh, wow. And he was, well, first was a huge tipper, but he was incredible because he was just like, he didn't act like you were waiting on, he acted like I was the important person. That's like, cool. he sat down and he's like, oh, what's good here? Oh, do you have scotch? Yeah. So I started talking to him and he's making jokes with me and he's like talking about what kind of night I'm having and he was just awesome, right? And he was really funny. And then, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I waited when I was in D.C. I waited on Joe Biden. Oh, oh, interesting. And, and while he was not like... What year was this? Oh, this was in 93. And he was there with a party, a bunch of other people. And he's just big timing and a dick and a pain in the ass. And, and I'm not saying he was like super mean. And they left a good tip. And it was, but just like... He just like pushy and treated me like I didn't really exist. Second class and, citizen. And called me on some like he asked me for a glass of wine and I brought it. He was like, This isn't what I ordered. Oh, 100% what he ordered. I poured it myself, right? So I just went and got him another one out of the exact same bottle, by the way. That's right. And it was just he was just doing it to show off. And, and well, like, it's they that kind of goes to the point of these career politicians that get a god complex. Oh god. Where it's like <laughs> they're supposed to be public servants and yet they think you know i'm i'm on this level above you like you're our you're you're our servant yeah that and see that's true of so many jobs like and and I, there's a lot of great teachers but having worked in teaching there's some not so good ones and a lot of the problem is they don't realize that that's a public service job right yeah it, you're not up here and the kids down here it's a public service job right so you you should be always on their level thinking about like okay what do their parents want and what do they need not here's what i need to teach them and get into their heads that's not how it's supposed to work but but like you said a little power gets to people's heads pretty quickly i think in in and people forget so quickly like it's one of the big things i've tried to to do when i have jobs where i'm in charge i i managed restaurants for a while and like a lot of restaurant managers become these petty tyrants and you you i have to laugh because they all started off as waiters or busboys or cooks or something and they hated that manager but then they become them, I guess, because that's all they know or they don't they want to be super controlling and stuff. But like any teamwork thing, you know, yeah, you gotta be a leader, right? But that doesn't mean being a douche to people. Right. Well, <laughs> it's that saying where it's like power corrupts. It's funny, I uh, I remember watching that and there there's a fine line though. Like I watched that uh, did you watch that? Uh, Bulls documentary. The, oh, with uh, Michael Jordan? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. A yeah. long documentary, which was great because it came out when we were all first locked down and we all needed some entertainment. So I watched every second of it. I thought it was great. And I always liked Michael Jordan, but I always knew he was a bit of a dick. Like you could just tell watching his demeanor. Yeah. Right. That, and unlike Larry Bird, it wasn't that just, I got to do this because I'm the awkward looking white guy on the court and nobody will give me respect. He did it a little more than he needed to. But it was clear, like, yes, that's part of what made him great and why he could lead 
you know, teams did two, three peats and all that stuff. But maybe he took it just a little far, but I don't know that, you know, I'm not that good an athlete, so I don't know where you draw that line. It's a hard one because he had the ability to back it up. He really it's like did. You couldn't put, you couldn't have that same, that same energy and be a bench player. Right. You right. know, now, did he need to call out guys in practice as much as he did? I don't know, but it sure worked. You know, well, so it's hard to it's say. hard to argue with success. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard. But you know, so I, I think that's one of those things where it's a hard line to draw. You need to get everybody's respect, and if you're too much of a mush, you're never going to have that. But you also can't be too much of a, a douche, right? So I, it's a tough one. I mean, I you you watch it in team sports all the time, like you know, coaches too. Um, you know, you got to be a little bit pushy with the players, but you can turn off a star player really fast and have it not work for you, you know? So it's interesting. I mean, the NBA is interesting now because the coaches really don't run the teams anymore. They just sort of guide the teams and the players run the teams. Which is ridiculous. That's, I mean, I'm so glad. Well, and you know what? Honestly, you can kind of see it a little bit in football too. In some senses, it's like the quarterback is meant to be kind of a coach on the field, but then some of them reach that point when it's like an Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has kind of got some sway in what happens in oh, that, for sure. in that for sure. organization. But you don't see it as much where like LeBron is clearly, he runs, he's ran the show on every team he's yeah. been on. Yeah. And like, you could even say the same about, at least since the heat. Yeah. I mean, and I, the interesting thing is I think in basketball, this season, and this is why these playoffs are interesting right now, it's starting to unravel a little bit, right? Because the Lakers didn't even make the playoffs. Right. And that was – LeBron built that team. And that was, a, on paper, an amazing team. Right, except I've always thought Russell Westbrook is a piece that has to be used exactly right. But um, but they failed, and he's the one who picked Russell Westbrook. They could have had DeMar DeRozan, who's lighting it up with the Bulls right now. They didn't. He wanted his guys. The Nets – now, it's not failing yet – but they're two down two nothing to the Sixer to the to the Celtics, which is an actual coach team that plays like a team. And KD and Kyrie were like, "Oh, we don't really need coaching. We're so good. We'll just come in and light it up." Well, and KD even got Kyrie to go there. Like right. it was KD who kind of put that team together, and they picked Steve Nash as their coach because they knew he was a player's guy who would just kind of let them freelance and do what they want. That's not working. You can't, you, you know. Well, and the, what were they? The, Seven seed, yeah, and 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 I don't care how good those two are, unless they both have a perfect shooting game. You don't have a deep enough team, and you don't play enough defense to beat the Celtics. So I don't think they're gonna. And I kind of like seeing that unravel, not because I don't think the players should have input, but there's a big difference between like in Miami, Le- LeBron had a lot of input, but Pat Riley was there, so he. Was, but even Eric Spolstra was never like a serious coach. And 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 to his credit, he's been a head coach for a long time. But they don't talk about him like they talk about a Greg Popovich. Correct, right? But but I'm kind of glad to see because I think while I I don't mind players having more input, I think it got out of control there these last few years to where you know coaching and eh, and players just building their own teams and stuff. And I don't think that's a very good idea. I also don't think LeBron's a good general manager. Oh, he's a terrible general manager. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of ancient Carmelo Anthony, who doesn't move that well and can't play defense anymore. He can still shoot some, but needs the ball a lot. Russell Westbrook, who needs the ball a lot. LeBron, who needs the ball a lot. Not many other outside shooters 
and nobody else who plays defense except Anthony Davis, who's out half the season. What a terrible team. I mean, well, look at all the guys they let go who are having success uh, all over yeah. Brandon Ingram, yeah. Dave, uh, Caruso. Caruso, uh, you know, and they could have had DeRozan. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they could have kept Kuzma. Really, it's funny. And, and I, mean, I can't believe let Caruso go. What a bargain he was at the price. It was crazy. And he wanted to stay. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. he wanted Westbrook. He wanted, you know, they went and got uh, Monk and. Uh, 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 what's his name? Nunn? Kendrick yeah. Nunn? Uh, I'll tell you that one of the things that pisses me off about Westbrook, and he's immensely talented. He's obviously a naturally gifted athlete. Could have played whatever sport he wanted to. You can look at the guy and tell, you know, he would have been an amazing football player if he'd played wide receiver or something. The thing that bothers me is a guy who's that athletic, now he doesn't have good hands and he's not a great shooter, he could be a sick defensive player. Yeah. With, with his speed and jumping ability and just lateral quickness and everything. And he does make some impressive defensive plays, but they're all big gamble superstar plays. He doesn't just lock down and play good defense because he's lazy. That bums me out. When you're that talented and you kind of lays off, that always annoys me with an athlete. I, I'd rather see a guy who doesn't have that much talent, who makes more out of it, than a guy who's kind of lazy with the natural talent he does have. Well, and he's kind of one of those guys, too, where he can't really be the third guy. He oh, kinda, he's got too much ego for that. Right. Well, and I I disagree with making him a point guard. I think he should be the number two. Yeah, he always should have been a two He guard. is a facilitator, though. Like He is great with assists and stuff like that, but he's not a perimeter shooter. He he dunked at like a 68%. Dunked! Yeah. He because t- he's so erratic. And he has bad hands. He has, he has smaller and not... He just doesn't catch the ball well. He's, he's a good passer once he has it, but he's not the best dribbler. You know? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean... Turns the ball over. Turns the ball over way too much. Uh, you know, uh, but sports are funny like that. Like, I, it always amazes me a guy who has unbelievable talent and screws it up either by being, like, lazy or... I mean, I get, I get having, like, actual problems. Like, if you have psychological problems or something, you know, substance abuse. Like, or, like, this is going back a ways, but, like, Sean Kemp, you remember him? He was a power forward in the NBA. He actually ate himself out of the league. He just got too fat. Wow. And early in his career, he didn't have that problem. So it's clearly something where he just, it wasn't like he always had weight problems. He just late in his career got lazy and had a lot of money and started eating too much and got fat. And it's like, really? You know, I mean, you could hire nutritionists and trainers with the money you make and you're just going to sit at home and get fat. I, I, I don't know. It, far be it for me, do what you want. You know, if it, he had the money at that point. So, but uh, just strange to me. I, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, what there's, there's a number of ways to like get yourself out of a sport. Once you're talented, you can get away with an incredible amount, right? So the guys who do like extra stupid things, I, when I was in St. Louis, I worked at a big bar, um, Blueberry Hills, big tourist spot. And a lot of the athletes came in uh, and Marshall Falk came in. Oh, wow. The Rams always dressed to the nines. Pretty nice guy. I'm sure. And he, he sat down at the bar one time and I'm talking to him and he goes, oh, this is my driver, you know, put whatever he wants on my, whatever he wants to eat on my tab. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, you have a driver. And he said, oh yeah, I, if I'm going out. Like, Unless I'm just running to the store or getting something for myself. But if I'm going to have one drink, even if I'm not drinking, the people with me are, I don't drive. I'm not taking that chance. I got a career, man. Ah, that's a smart guy. He'd rather spend money on a driver than get a DUI and screw up his cash cow. Henry Ruggs should have had him in his corner. Yeah, see, and, and that's, like, I'm always amazed by a guy like that. You're 
especially during the season. Look, during the off season, if you want to drive your Ferrari around or whatever, during the season or like, you know, training camp, get a driver. Don't mess with it at all. Why bother? You can afford it. Yeah, exactly. I would never drive. If I was rich, I'd only drive when I felt like it. I'd always have a driver because why bother? Uh, especially, I mean, even if you're, even if you might drink. Well, I'd always want to have somebody with me just to like make sure I wasn't acting a fool if I'm out like, or, or if somebody's trying to like hassle with me, it's like, cause you know, if you're an athlete or even a musician or something like that, people want to like prove something. It's like, I'm going to need a, like a little backup here to like yeah. calm the, calm the crowd. When, uh, when a band I was in was on tour, we went to a strip club in Dallas and Dennis Rodman came in. Oh, wow. And he, the strippers, I mean, I'm, it was unbelievable. He walks in and it was like ants going on a piece of bologna you just dropped on the side. Of the <laughs> and well, uh, they knew it was about to be raining. It's, it's going to be raining and he's going to be buying everybody drinks. And, you know, as that, and he, he did. By the way, if you want to talk about a guy you cannot miss, he's already, what, like six, eight or whatever, right? And he's got all the piercings and shit. And he's got a giant purple pimp hat with a leopard skin thing around it and this big, like, for uh what do you call those uh uh it's like a super long scarf oh, okay okay you like a boa or whatever. a boa he's got a big fur boa and this giant purple pimp hat with <laughs> yeah dennis you want to be seen don't you but he he goes in and i just want to walk him and say because i love dennis problem i always got the huge kick off him he's smart he's got a couple dudes who go with him everywhere and say before you walk up to him they're not mean they're not aggressive they just go what's up what do you want to talk to dennis about so he's just always got a filter, right? I just think that's smart, right? And he doesn't need it for security. He's so big, nobody's going to mess with Dennis Rodman. But smart move, because that way he can, eh, maybe you're a little crazy. Let's get you over here. Let's or like, move. I can tell you're drunk. You might start problems. So we'll at least just look at Dennis and go, hey, this guy, maybe. Yeah, so I just thought that was really smart. I don't, and again, I don't, whenever I see an athlete get in dumb crap like that, I'm always like, why, why didn't you have people? Not a dumb posse that you're paying, like, you know, but just a couple well, it's cra- it's crazy to think that, especially today, like you you think you would have learned from some of the mistakes, or even learned from some of the successes from like our Dennis Rodman or Marshall Falk. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Dennis Rodman. If Dennis Rodman, who's a pretty crazy person, thinks enough to be like, eh, if I'm going to go into a strip club, I ought to have a couple guys with me, just watching my back. And if Dennis Rodman is being that smart, anybody can. I, again, it's one of those things I just don't get. Like, uh, you know, I get it. We all like to, you know, everybody likes to party. But once you have that money where you, you, you don't got to worry about leaving your car downtown, you're an NFL player. Come on. Yeah. You know? Why would you not have four or five people with you? You know, I don't know. And usually they do run in crowds, yeah. but yeah, it clearly doesn't seem to work that well if there's so many guys getting DUIs and getting in trouble. And It seems like, it still seems like the NFL is the worst for that. It I, is, yeah. Well, it also your number, you know, your your percentage goes up when you got fifty three players. Sure, it's a lot team. of players. It's a lot of players. It, there was a period there was where the NBA was having a lot of guys. You know, there was the whole Portland Jail Blazers, and they were having it. But I, they seem to have like tightened up their image a little bit. Yeah, more. Their, and their business model and stuff, and gotten you know, which is I gotta say, which is kind of smart because sort of post Iverson. And I don't, I don't have any problem with this, but I'm just saying your typical white American, the guys are a lot more tatted up and, you know, they have a lot more crazy hairstyles and they don't all wear suits when they're, you know, in interviews and stuff anymore. 
So I think they were probably pretty wise to go like, hey, guys, your private life stuff, cool, do whatever you want, but let's keep it out of view a little bit. There used to be a lot more crazy stories about NBA players. And I think, oh, I'm sure. I think they've gotten pretty smart about keeping it lower key. Well, there's uh, in that 30 for 30, that Bulls one we were talking about, or I can't remember whether it's 30 or not. Uh, Jordan talked a little bit about like when he first got into the league, Coke was just rampant everywhere. And one of his first road trips, he goes like into one of the other guys' hotel rooms, and there's just lines everywhere. He's like, nope, nope, boom, I'm going back to my room, not having anybody. Smart. Again, he probably did it, but he was probably smart enough to go, don't ever do partying like that in front of people. Don't, you know, keep that super private. Um, and like, uh, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but this, because this is going back when I was younger. In the 80s, uh, the NFL had a huge Coke problem. Like a, a huge chunk of the San Diego Chargers team got busted. Oh, God, what was the running back? Um, I mean, this is going way, way back. But sure. and, and then I think they cleaned up their Coke problem, but then only to have other problems later. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the Major League Baseball had, before steroids, had a little bit of a Coke issue. Oh, yeah, especially when things weren't as regulated or, or as overseen. Like, they don't have to, they probably didn't have the drug testing stuff. And yeah. it, it's definitely a lot harder to get away with that stuff now. Plus, your your image is currency mm-hmm. now, so you you know it's a <coughs> a double whammy as to why people probably don't do it as much. Did you play sports in high school? Or? I did. Uh, I I swam and I was a soccer player. Oh right on. Yeah yeah, which I liked a lot. Uh, still follow English soccer and uh, don't play as much anymore. Your knees quite. <laughs> soccer is one of those sports where you know I still play like racquetball and swim and do other stuff, but. I'll play a little bit, but I cannot play a full 90-minute game oh, anymore. It's just too God. much punishment on my knees. So I used to be able to run like a deer, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I could never do it. I just don't got the cardio for it. It's a tough eat. Yeah, we ran and ran and ran. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what you do. And I was a midfielder, so it's just uh, up, up and down, up and down, up and down. But uh, I kind of miss it. It's fun. Um, I'd like to play some kind of sport again here, you know, because just I miss the competition and the camaraderie, you know, get on a softball team or a basketball team or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, fun. that's always – I like playing pickup games of basketball and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a good sport, you know. Uh, you, one of the things I like about basketball is you can have a mid-skill level and be a real solid contributor to a team. You know, you have a little bit of a m- mid-range shot. You play hard defense. You can pass a little bit. You can have a lot of fun. Right. The um, – God, what else was I – I had something I was going to ask you, and I totally spaced it out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's all right. What uh, – so – did your daughter live here? My daughter lives in St. Louis. Oh, okay, yeah, I was... uh, yeah. She's uh, she was also a, a soccer player in high school and stuff. Went to college and is now working, uh, placing veterans in like homes and and better medical situations and doing stuff for the VA like that. So very cool. Stay yeah. in t- you stay in touch pretty. pretty oh yeah, yeah. We're we're real tight. She might. She's probably gonna move at some point. She really liked Colorado and uh, that area too. So she's kind of planning it. But she and her boyfriend are so taking their time, making their choices. That's one of the big things that I was going to say is, you know, I always encourage people take risks and move and get out of ruts. I mean, my move here was a big thing. I've changed careers a couple times. It's one of my big pieces of advice to anybody younger is try things, take risks. Like I know it seems hard. It's always hard, you know, leaving a job, the uncertainty, you know, it, you know, especially with things are kind of wacky right now. 
it, the worst thing you can do, I think, for yourself is like find that you spent five years like grinding out some job you hated and now you're out of it and you're like, what, what did I just do that for? I could have left five years ago and been a lot happier. I I tell anybody, take a risk, you know, branch out. You you won't be able to get stuff unless you risk a little bit. Like, I mean, like we were talking about with playing music, unless you put yourself out there and make an attempt, have a little bit of, you know, uh, you, you're going to have to make some leaps. You know, you're going to have to just jump without knowing 100% what's below you sometimes. You right. just are. If you try and prepare the landing for everything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I said, failure doesn't, isn't always a bad thing. You know, you learn from failure as long as you know to learn from failure as opposed to let it just hold you down. And I think it's one of those things like look at, I, mean, I think almost everybody who's, you know, whether they be, they started some major corporation or something had a failure first. Like Elon oh, Musk yeah. undoubtedly had ventures that screwed up. You know, Jeff Bezos didn't succeed at everything. None of these guys who had amazing ideas had their first idea take off. And if they did later ones failed, you know, because they were a little overconfident or they tried to repeat the same success, you got to try stuff. I mean, I, you know, well, it's a little bit about what we were talking about, like you were saying with, with uh, women, uh, you know, I, I need to apply that more to that because, you know, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is she's like, eh. well, I mean, that's not really that bad. Yeah, it's, it feels a little funny. But unless you're a complete jerk about it, she's not going to run around and tell all your friends you were awful. That's that's something in your head, you know. Right. Um. But yeah, so I mean, bringing that back in, or you know, uh, trying music, playing a sport, doing something, you you, you got to risk the failure. You got to risk uh, having to scramble. Yeah. It's, it's not fun, but you got to do it, right? Because it happens. Even you know, you're going to have those scrambles when you didn't intend them, right? You're going to have that day where you know. You know, you got up from work and your tires flat, and you're gonna have to figure it out and get to work and scramble. You know, you, your job, you're, you're, or you're gonna hit breaking points. Like I'd much rather leave a job when I'm like, yeah, I'm burning out, than when I am fully burnt out and I hate it and I don't even like myself anymore. Ugh. No, I totally hear you, man. Well, you know, I like to I like to end the shows with positive motivational message, but I think that was pretty much it. You oh, know? perfect! Right, you know, I think that kind of works out. If, if unless you had anything else you wanted to no, say, no, I think I think that covers it. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as as a, a guy with varied experience and stuff, that would be my big message: is try things, branch out, and definitely don't like start. Uh, I, I think a lot of times people real early, you know, because you you're pushed to like pick a career and define yourself like right around. 20 something which is way too early you don't know what you're up to yet always be willing to redefine yourself and you know be something different yep that's perfect i like it well thank you so much man for coming on the show i really appreciate of course it. enjoyed was... the conversation yeah this is a lot of fun right on and then for anybody else out there thank you so much for listening make sure to like share subscribe do all that stuff but most importantly don't forget life's a garden dig it yeah <laughs> <laughs>